So this giant book is a, a Bible commentary. Um, these are, are books, if you haven't heard of, of these before, these are books that are written for a rather small and unique audience of, of students, pastors, scholars, and, and Bible nerds. <laughs> So I, I'm not sure exactly how many, how many copies they sell. But in general, a commentary is written about a specific book of the Bible. Uh, for example, this is uh, written about the book of Numbers, what we're, we're currently going through right now. So the author goes through the entire book and, and makes comments or, or, or offers insights on the stories, the language, the culture, questions and debates uh, related to each chapter of the book of Numbers. And so if you... Um, if you go into any pastor's library, you're going to find likely a, a bunch of these types of books because, because while we, we don't know um, everything that we should know or need to know uh, about the Bible, there's so much that we don't know and so much that we don't understand. Uh, so anytime I'm preparing for a sermon or to teach a class, I'm, I'm likely reading through a bunch of these commentaries so that I can appear smarter than I really am. Now, in many ways, uh, these commentaries serve as guides for us, uh, guiding us uh, from, from different perspectives and insights uh, through the Bible. Um, and, and over the years, I, I've collected a bunch of these. Uh, I mean, in 20 years, as a, as a student, I was forced to buy a lot of these. Um, people have given these as, as gifts to me. And, and as a pastor, I've purchased a bunch of commentaries uh, so that I could uh, get some help teaching a class or, or writing a sermon. So this week, I went through all of my commentaries that I, that I have in, in, in my office, and um, uh, all, of, all of these commentaries that, that helped guide me, um, and I pulled out all of the ones that were, that were written by women uh, and or, or people of color. And so here they are. Um, these are, are all the books written by uh, women or, or people of color, and I'm, and I'm really thankful for these books, especially because of, of the way that they naturally help me to see the Bible from, from a, a perspective that I can't see, um, and, and to, to see things from a, a, from a different vantage point. Um, but, but of course, I, I also have commentaries that are, are written by people like me, by, by white men, and so, so here's some of, some of those. <clears throat> This is one of them, actually, the biggest one. Let's see here. Okay, so, and it's great. I mean, these are, these are great commentaries and, and helpful. They've guided me. <laughs> um, they, they've been great. They, they've helped me uh, through, through all of my years as a student and, and as a, hold on, I think I've got more. Okay. You know, and it's funny because I've actually sorted through all of these when I've traveled and when I've moved over. How steady is that? Okay. So, again, uh, these books have been fantastic. And they've helped guide me and they've, they've given me insights that I've, I I've never would have understood or even been able to find. Um, but... What's the problem here? What's, what's wrong with this picture? Uh, again, it's not that we necessarily need less books written by white men. I mean, maybe less. <laughs> but, but obviously, we need more voices. 
Uh, we need more uh, perspectives that, that look at the Bible from, a, from different angles. And, and the thing is, is that, that I guarantee you that most pastor's offices would look the same way if you looked at their bookshelf and, and the commentaries that they have, which means that, that overall, there's a good chance that our, our overall perspective of the Bible is coming from one, from the perspective of one dominant demographic. In a world with so much diversity and so many perspectives and so many ways of seeing things, a lot of our understanding of the Bible is coming from the perspective of one dominant demographic. So obviously, we need more voices. We need more perspectives to help guide us. Can you guys see me over there? <laughs> this is... Uh, a rather large stack. Um, you know, I had originally thought that I'd take all the books out and try stacking them up, but obviously that was not a good idea. Um, so we, we need other voices to help guide us uh, through the Bible, through the wilderness, through life, to help lead us. So as we consider that, here, I'll take these, this top one down for you guys. Okay, so with this in mind, let's listen um, uh, as we read together uh, Numbers chapter 10, uh, beginning of verse 29. Now Moses said to Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place about which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Well, he answered, no, I will not go. I'm going to go back to my own land and to my own people. But Moses said, please do not leave us. You know where we should camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes or, or you can be our guide. If you come with us, we will share with you whatever good thing the Lord gives us. So they, they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as a reminder, God's people have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God then rescues them and he guides them uh, to Mount Sinai where God makes a commitment to these people. I will be your God and you will be my people. Then as, as preparation for their journey through the wilderness, they took a census. Uh, they counted all the people as a way of, of letting these wounded uh, former slaves know that their lives matter, that they count. They're free from slavery and they're free to be fully human. And last week, the, the people celebrated the uh, Passover meal as a reminder of God's rescue. And, and, and as an important part of this meal, it was the foreigner or the outsider who was included because God didn't want them to be mistreated like the immigrants and outsiders uh, that had, had been treated when they were in, in Egypt. And instead of unleashing violence and death at the beginning of their story, God wants them through the open table, through the invitation to the foreigner to unleash compassion, justice, and love 
as they begin to set out and become a new people. So after all this, the journey um, into the wilderness uh, begins. And right out of the gate, as they begin to move through the wilderness, they, they, they travel for three days straight. Three days straight, looking for a place of rest. Um, and, and this isn't the first time that they did this. They marched for three days straight when they left Egypt, too, um, which ha has led some Jewish rabbis uh, and, and scholars over the years to suggest that, that the people are like school kids who, who just got let out of school, maybe, maybe for summer break. I mean, as soon as the bell rings, they run out as fast as they can, partly because they're excited, but partly because they're afraid that the teacher will give them more homework if they stick around too long. So, so they, they run away from Egypt as fast as they can to make sure that the Egyptians don't give them more work after all of the work that they've already done. And, and here at Mount Sinai, where God has given them all kinds of rules and regulations, the people march for three days so that God can't give them more rules and regulations. I, I don't know if, that, if that's true, but that's just sort of the fun way that rabbis uh, deal, deal with the story. But, but in a similar way, their movement is sort of like a game that's often played by kids. So that as they begin to, to move through the wilderness, we hear this at the end of, uh, end of chapter 9. Wherever the cloud, so the, the cloud that represents God's presence, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the, the, the tabernacle, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained at camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed over uh, from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with the command through Moses. So what game does this sound like? <laughs> like, a, like the most gigantic game of red light, green light, right? <laughs> like red means stop, green means go. So all the way through this journey, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. And, and up to this point, everyone is still in the game because we hear that they obeyed the Lord's order all the way through. Uh, up to this point, they obeyed the Lord's order. So everyone's, everyone's still in the game. Um, it's God's presence here that is leading the people through the wilderness. Obviously, right? God says go, they go. God says stop, they stop. This is the way it's been since they left Egypt. The people have been following God. God is their leader. God is their guide. And yet here Moses has to beg his father-in-law, Hobab, to help guide them through the wilderness. Doesn't this seem strange? Moses says, please do not leave us. You know where we should camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. Wait, but, I, but don't you think God would know where they should camp? Isn't God the one leading them and, and taking them to to a place of rest, you can be our eyes. Well, once again, just like we see throughout the Bible, 
The way that God is working in the world is more often than not through, in and through human beings. God is at work in the world in and through us. So in life, our guides are or will be God and God and, and one another. God, and more specifically here, people who aren't always going to see things the same way that we do. Moses' father-in-law is a Midianite. He's from a different land and from different people. He's not an Israelite. He is a foreigner living among them, and Moses begs him to stay. Moses needs a Midianite. He doesn't need the 600,000 Israelites to guide them. He needs a Midianite to guide them through the wilderness to see what perhaps they could not see on their own. No matter how many eyes they all had, they needed a foreigner to guide them in the wilderness. And this follows on on what we talked about last week. Um, You were once foreigners in Egypt, therefore welcome the foreigner, the immigrant, and the outsider and treat them well. The table is open. All are invited to gather around God's table. But here, in this story, there's an important difference from from just welcoming the outsider. We need those. We need those who are different than us. So so don't welcome the outsider with the view that that only we have something to offer. Sure, you can come to our table and and participate. We'll, we'll, We'll allow it. Don't welcome people with the view that that they would be lost without us. That they need us to change their minds and change their behavior so that they're, they're right, just like us. Welcome one another, realizing that we're lost without each other. We're lost without people who see the world differently than we do. I mean, we might have have committed our life to Jesus as a child, and maybe we've been following God our entire life long, and maybe we've been a really, really good person. Maybe we've gotten most things right. When God says go, we go. When God says stop, we stop. But without one another, we're still lost. We still need others' eyes and perspectives. And at least one of us here committed his life to Jesus as a kid, has been following God his whole life long, and he even became a pastor. Can you believe that? But without women and without the LGBTQ community and people of color and all who are older and all who are younger, I am lost. Without Methodists and Lutherans and Catholics and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and Red Sox fans, I am am lost. Without immigrants and refugees and dreamers and people from other cultures and other nations who speak other languages, we are lost. We're lost without one another. Our world is lost if we don't need one another, if we stop believing that we need one another. As we travel through life, yes, God is our guide. We're following Jesus. We're following Jesus' way of love. Yes, God is our guide, but but who else? Who else will be our eyes? Who else will help us to see what we cannot see, no matter how hard we try, no matter how many 
books we've, re- we've read. Who else do we need to lead us, to guide us? Who else do we need to, to be our eyes, to see what we can't see as we travel through the wilderness, as we travel through the ups and downs of life? Yes, God is our guide, but who else? Who else is guiding us? Please pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you have surrounded us even today with a community of people who see the world in different ways. We pray that you would continue to guide us along your path of, of, of compassion, justice, and peace. And we pray that you would surround us more and more with people who see the world in different ways. Help us to realize that we need one another, that we're all lost if we don't need one another, that we need each other, we need the diversity of this world that you've created. Help us to follow you and help us to discover who else we need to follow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.